They'll be sure, and they'll look back at us, and they'll be like, oh, man, they had no clue about what X, Y, or Z was. Yeah. So I think the point is, is cosmologies are always a combination of how and why. And that's interesting that now it's hard for us to split those two. Yes, it's hard for us. How and why. Yeah. Because we're living in our own cosmology. Exactly. But for later generations, it will be much easier for them to see that. And so the question is, what are the worldview value claims being made by any cosmology? Mm -hmm. Because any cosmology, when you give an account of how and why something came into existence, you're not just talking about the mechanisms. Mm-hmm. You're talking about what it is and why it's here. So these are worldview questions. So cosmologies are a vehicle for way bigger questions like, where are we? What kind of place is it? <laughs> this philosophy. Yeah. So like, is the world we inhabit, is it eternal? Is it finite and contingent? We're still arguing about that. Yeah. Is it static or is it dynamic? Is it um, cyclical? going in eternal Mm. cycles, Mm. or is it linear, going in a sequence forward? That right there is an ancient debate that spans Mm. cultures and times. And uh, the Greeks thought one thing, and Mm. that developed, and the Jews and the Christians developed a unique contribution based on the the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. The history. That history has a trajectory. Yeah, that reality has a beginning point, that reality cannot be the basis of its own existence. Because all reality as we know it is contingent. But it's still a debate. It is, yeah. But logically, you have to just play it out. There must be some cause. This is famous about the first cause, stuff like that. As far as we understand. As far as we understand, that's exactly right. So what I'm saying is the why, Christian, being communicated by Genesis 1, is very much a set of larger claims about the nature of reality. That there is a personal being who is the ultimate Ultimate. One ordering and the one bringing life. Mm-hmm. The one guiding. Mm-hmm. And that uh, there is some sort of linear forward development that's going to culminate in something. Mm-hmm. Those are major claims about the nature of reality <laughs> that are communicated through this ancient Israelite cosmology. Yes, and that humans are made in its, yeah. his yeah. image. Yeah, that humans are both emerge from the material order, but then also have the ability to transcend their origins and be a part of something that's much more cosmic and much more transcendent. That's major. I mean, we're taking a philosophy class right now yeah. all of a sudden. But what I love about his question mm-hmm. is that it's asking, can we do this in a fresh way yeah. through a new cosmology? Yeah. And it seems like you totally could. Yeah. And it would be a really wonderful mm-hmm. project, and it would be really fun to read someone or watch someone's version of that. Yeah. And I'm sure stuff like that exists, actually. Yeah, yeah actually, here, let me, uh, you know, a really helpful book along these lines. So John Walton, a Hebrew Bible scholar, has yeah. already come up. He's done work on this in his Lost World of Genesis 1 and Lost World of Adam and Eve. Another popular level treatment that I thought was really fun that I came across is by a biblical scholar, Robin Perry, called, called The Biblical Cosmos, A Pilgrim's Guide to the Weird and Wonderful World of the Bible. Mm. And it's a a really great introduction to the three-tiered world of the Bible, the concept of the waters above, the waters below, the dragon, all these things. It's a really uh, fun. And uh, his daughter, if I'm remembering correctly, his daughter's a graphic designer, so she did all the artwork in the book. It's really cool. And part of one of his main whole points is that the view and the cosmology of the biblical authors was also developing 
as the biblical canon and collection was developing. And so the way that the apostles in the New Testament, they're also being informed by developments in Greek and Roman culture in conversations about this. And so their language has those accents to it as well. Mm -hmm. And Jewish and Christian views of cosmology developed throughout history and kept changing, Mm -hmm. updating Mm -hmm. to Aristotelian Mm -hmm. and Copernican revolutions. Mm -hmm. And all those generations were able to still find relevance and meaning in the ancient cosmology of the Bible and translate between them. And And that translation effort, I think, is what he's getting at. Exactly. Would it be cool if there was a Carl Sagan type or a Neil deGrasse Tyson type who also could then translate. Yeah. Both be the cosmologist. Yeah, sure. Give you a tour of the cosmos, but then translating these ideas into it. Yeah. Wouldn't uh, that be awesome? Yeah, totally. These theologians and, and scholars, they, they're people doing this work. It's great work. It's synthetic work of like science and cosmology, the works of Alistair McGrath, hmm. a scientist and theologian. Excellent work on John Polkinghorne, who's a physicist and a priest and theologian. They're doing excellent work at the forefront of scientific cosmology hmm. and Christian cosmology or biblical cosmology. Well, that's two great names to follow up with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good stuff. All right. The uh, next question is from Kayla in Florida. Hey, Tim and John. My name is Kayla and I live in Lakeland, Florida. I really enjoyed the series on ancient cosmology, but it does bring up a certain level of tension for me as someone who grew up in a tradition where Genesis 1 through 3 was taught from a more literal perspective. Hearing about the Bible's influence from other ancient cosmologies causes me to pause and wonder how much of it is quote-unquote true. So how should this new understanding readjust my approach to these chapters? Thank you guys so much for all that you do. Yeah, get right to the real question. Just getting to it. (laughs) No, because for me too, 